going to Mark chapter 13. Amen. Mark chapter 13, if you would please. Today, um, we will be in the third part of this extended message, I suppose, um, a private conversation. I've titled today's A Conversation Concluded. And so, over these last couple of weeks, last couple of messages, we have been given by God's grace, I do believe, a glimpse into this conversation between the Lord Jesus and four of his closest apostles concerning their inquiry about the time and the signs of the coming calamities and destructions that Jesus had mentioned as he was leaving the Jerusalem temple. Now you remember that at the beginning of this chapter. As he went out of the temple, one of his disciples said, look at the buildings and look how great the buildings and the stones and how massive and how wonderful are these. And Jesus said, you see these buildings, but there's not a single stone that won't be thrown down. So they were wondering, these four apostles then, Peter, James, John, and Andrew, as Jesus went and sat upon the Mount of Olives, these four apostles came to him privately. And they said, so when is all this going to happen? What's going to be the sign of all of this coming to be? Well, Jesus' first response was very direct. But, if you recall, it was not direct toward answering that specific question or those two specific questions. His first response was to say in no uncertain terms in hearing those questions, he said, take heed lest any man deceive you. For many shall come in my name saying, I am Christ and shall deceive many. You see, it is by Jesus' own exhortation that we must be very diligent, if you will. We heard that this morning. Be diligent. In other words, we need to be very careful when we're considering this matter of the end times and the signs thereof. Because, as well intentioned as any man or woman might be, and as convinced and as passionate as they might be about their understanding, Jesus said that it's only what God says through his word, through the person of Jesus Christ, and through the Holy Spirit of God giving us understanding that is worth pondering and meditating and believing. We saw that a few weeks ago. That it, if someone comes to you like the, like the, 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 the sales guy on TV, OxyClean is the best stuff ever! And oh, they're passionate about it. Is it really? Uh, you know, he believes so, I guess. Well, he's getting paid to believe this. But if someone is so passionate about something that they think the Bible has to say, their passion is admirable, I suppose. But what they're saying, what the Bible, what they think the Bible says, we'd better check with the Bible <laughs> to see if that's what God said. Because Jesus said, it's only the word of God that we ought to be believing. So Jesus went on to tell them, after he said, take heed lest any man deceive you, he went on to tell these apostles of these coming events, both in the near future, that is, he told them about the destruction of the temple that would be coming in just a few short decades, 
Whether it was the destruction of the temple or whether it was the persecution for believing in and following Christ. As well as the more distant future, he told him, when this, as it's written, the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet is seen. And he told him of the affliction that it brings. But he said, even that won't signify the very end of the world. Don't confuse those. He said, don't let any man deceive you, he says. Because, he said, God will intervene at the time and prevent all flesh from being destroyed for a time. And we saw in verses 21 and 22 of Mark chapter 13, let me just read them very quickly. He says, and then if any man shall say to you, lo, here is Christ, or lo, he is there, believe him not. For false Christs and false prophets shall rise and shall show signs and wonders to seduce, if it were possible, even the elect. He said, he, he, he told them that after he warned of the abomination of desolation. You see, these verses, Jesus gave further indication that the end is not yet. Now we come then to our text for today. By God's grace, we're going to finish out this chapter 13 today. And I believe in this time together, we're going to highlight three relatively, I'm going to call them relatively brief sections. Not that they don't have a whole lot of content to them, because they do, because I'll tell you, you well know that especially a Bible-believing, fundamental Baptist preacher can make a sermon out of about three words. <laughs> And it could last for three weeks. Uh, but anyway, uh, so, but uh, it, the content is there, and it's deep. But we're just going to highlight some of these things today because it does deal with the actual second coming of Christ. Well, let's read our text. Starting in Mark chapter 13, looking at verse number 24, if you find your way there, and we'll read through the end of the chapter. Now Jesus said here, But in those days, after that tribulation, the sun shall be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light. And the stars of heaven shall fall, and the powers that are in heaven shall be shaken. And then shall they see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. And then shall he send his angels, and shall gather together his elect from the four winds, from the uttermost part of the earth to the uttermost part of heaven. Now, learn a parable of the fig tree. When her branch is yet tender and putteth forth leaves, ye know that summer is near. So ye, in like manner, when ye shall see these things come to pass, know that it is nigh, even at the doors. Verily I say unto you that this generation shall not pass till all these things be done. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. Verse 32 goes on and he says, Jesus says, But of that day and that hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels which are in heaven, neither the Son, but the Father. Take ye heed, watch, and pray, for ye know not when the time is. For the Son of Man is as a man taking a far journey, who left his house, and gave authority to his servants, and to every man his work, and commanded the porter to watch. Watch ye therefore, for ye know not when the master of the house cometh, at even, or at midnight, or at the cock crowing, or in the morning, lest coming suddenly he find you sleeping. And what I say unto you, I say unto all, watch. Now it has been said... And it's been perceived that God inspired, as God inspired this record of the gospel, that Mark's writing style 
was geared more for a called Gentile reader. The audience was, was not so much the, the Jewish readers who were schooled for most of their lives in messianic prophecy. Gentiles were not so. So he kind of geared his writing so that the language of the text addressed the concerns that maybe the Gentiles might have as opposed to what specific prophecies were. So as Mark briefly touched on this content of Jesus' words in that, well, by contrast, I suppose, if you look at Matthew, in the same account in the Gospel of Matthew, and even Luke, they recorded details in this discourse that Mark did not. Mark focused more on some of the the highlights and things that might be more pertinent to the Gentile nation. Well, let us look briefly today at three thoughts, maybe three uh, portions of this closing section of this private conversation of Jesus. First, we're going to look at the event. What is the event? Well, it's been said that this event he's talking about is the second coming of Christ. And then we're going to look at the evidence. These are the things, uh, the evidence about the things that are, that are going to happen. And then we're going to look at the exhortation. So the event, the evidence, and the exhortation. Let's pray. Our Father God in heaven, as we look to your word today, it is no more clear than when I get into a portion of scripture that talks about these end times that, Lord God, I am not adequate to explain or to expound all of the details that you have given to us. And yet, Lord, you've given us an outline. Yet, Lord, you have charged us with rightly dividing the word of truth. You have given us your word that stands firm through all of eternity, Lord, so that we can share it with others. So, God, I would ask that your Holy Spirit today would open our hearts, would open our understanding. And, Father, would, as we look at this text, Lord, we'll draw some of the pertinent application that we can utilize, Lord, that we might be better servants of you. Oh, God, help us today to go from this place charged. Go from this place revived. Go from this place, Lord, ready to share the good news with others. God, may your will be accomplished today. Open our understanding, please, God. I need you to fill us with your spirit. Fill me with your spirit today. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> so looking at the event, the Christ's return, the second coming, if you will, that's the first portion of this scripture. The first four verses of our text, I believe they are a record of how the second coming of Christ will manifest. Read again, we'll just read briefly, starting in verses 24 through 27. But in those days, as a reminder, in those days after that tribulation, the sun shall be darkened and the moon shall not give her light and the stars of heaven shall fall and the powers that are in heaven shall be shaken. That sounds to me like a catastrophic event. Verse 26 says, and then shall they see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. And then shall he send his angels and shall gather together his elect from the four winds and from the uttermost part of the earth to the uttermost part of heaven. I'd like to notice with you, if you would please, a couple of things in this text. First of all, until this particular section of his discourse, Jesus seems to include the four apostles that he's speaking with in the group that will see the destruction of the temple. 
and they will see some of the afflictions that will come to be, especially in verse 21. If we look back just a minute, he says, And then if any man shall say to you, he's speaking with the four apostles, if any man shall say to you after the destruction of the temple, after they see this abomination of desolation for their time, he says, If any man shall say unto you, Lo, here is Christ, or lo, he is there, believe him not. For false Christs and false prophets shall arise and shall signs and wonders and seduce, if it were possible, even the elect. But as Jesus goes on from that first charge, if he, when he goes on, he describes the next event. And by the way, I don't see a particular reference to the span of time between this event and the next event. So I don't know that we could say, oh, today it's going to be this, and tomorrow the second coming. We can't do that. There's no reference to a span of time because, as we'll see later on, not even Jesus knows when that's going to be. It's coming. But let's just keep continue on. So there is no reference to a span of time. Jesus simply says, in those days after that tribulation. Note how Jesus goes on then to address the group that will be affected in verse number 26. And then shall they see the Son of Man coming. Now remember church, the second coming of Christ will be a time of judgment of the world. Will the church still be here? Will we as the redeemed of Christ still be here to see that? No. Because we saw from Daniel and Pastor mentioned, we see it in Revelation that the church will be raptured. The church will be delivered out of that judgment of the world. So we'll not necessarily be here. So Jesus says, and then shall they see the, come, the Son of Man coming in the clouds. <clears throat> Excuse me. It will be a time of judgment of the world, and there will be those that go through the tribulation. But do you remember that there, those that go through the tribulation, they still have an opportunity to be saved. There will be tribulation saints, as they're called. They still will have an opportunity. The church will have been delivered, as we mentioned. But remember, as Peter wrote, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, but is long-suffering to us who are not willing that any should perish. There will be an opportunity for souls to be saved through the tribulation time period. Now, I believe God gives every opportunity, including during that time after the redeemed of the Lord are delivered, before God's wrath is poured out. But he gives opportunity for as many souls to be saved as will come. But there will be a difference. Believer, you and I who have received the Lord Jesus Christ have a reward. We will be delivered from the wrath being poured out on this earth. Those that choose to reject Christ now, if they turn to God during that tribulation, they are still going to have to endure the wrath of God being poured out in this world. They're going to have to endure the judgment of this world. That's going to be horrible. 
Because as we read in scriptures, there will be affliction such as there has not been since the creation of the world, nor ever will be up up until this point. Those that wait will experience, they will endure God's wrath. But as Jesus said, if we can look back to verse 13, as Jesus said, he that shall endure unto the end shall be saved. That is, if they will turn to God in this tribulation time period. And so Jesus says in verse 27, And then shall he send his angels, and shall gather together his elect. Where did they come from? The church was raptured out. Where did these elect come from during this time at the second coming? Well, that's the tribulation saints. That's those that have accepted, I believe, God's plan in the tribulation. Then shall he send his angels, and shall gather together his elect from the four winds, and from the uttermost part of the earth. To the uttermost part of heaven. Now there are, I believe, a number of we'll call them end times signs and events that Mark does not record. We, we don't have all of the description of the millennial reign and, and all of the various things that that make up the time of the end of the world. But we don't need them. Remember, as Mark, as as we said earlier, the intent was not to expound and explain all the prophetic messages concerning the end of the world, but rather to focus on the words and the works of Christ so that the Gentile people, the people that didn't know who Christ was, didn't know the prophecies, he wanted to focus on them so that they could understand concerning Jesus as the Savior and why they needed salvation. You see, he didn't need to go into all of the details about this thousand-year reign of Christ. He didn't need to go into all the details that we see in Revelation about all the horsemen. All, it, it wasn't What was needful is that people understand that the world is going to come to an end. And Christ is going to come back. And the world is going to be judged for the travesty that we have made of it. And the sin that we have just embraced in the world. It's going to be judged for those things. But there's still an opportunity to go to God and to be saved. Jesus said, if you'll endure to the end, they shall be saved. So that's the event. We come now then to the evidence. What is the evidence? Indeed, Jesus has given many indicators already, even in this discourse, regarding the persecutions, regarding the false Christs and the false prophets, proclaiming that Jesus has come back here, or Jesus is there. And he says, don't believe them, because they're false. Now, he does provide... In the way of a parable, as oftentimes Jesus does, by way of being able to relate something that they understand, he, he provides by way of a parable something that was relatable for the time. Uh, and, and this is the parable of the fig tree. He says here in verse number 28, Now learn a parable of the fig tree. It was a very common thing to see fig trees. They understood what fig trees were. They understood in that area of the world how fig trees grew and all these things. And look at what he said. When her branch is yet tender in verse 28 and putteth forth leaves, you know that summer is near. You know what's going to come next. He says in verse 29, So ye in like manner when ye shall see these things come to pass, know that it is nigh. The end is nigh. Even at 
the doors. But he does not say, and then it's going to happen next month. <laughs> he doesn't say, and then tomorrow when you wake up, oh boy. He doesn't say that when you see these things happen, you've got five years, you better get it straight. He doesn't say any of that. He says, know that the end is nigh. It's even at the doors. It's knocking. It's about to happen. It's pretty clear from Jesus' words that there will be ample evidence to show that what Jesus has said are not just idle words. Prophecies of old have been fulfilled, and just as God said uh, they would be, were they fulfilled. Also, we know by experience that there is a definite order to the natural seasons that occur from one year to the next. Uh, yeah, uh, we know that there, all, there always is a little variation in how the seasons manifest. It's not 10 below outside in February when it could be. Some dumb groundhog apparently couldn't see his shadow because it was cloudy out that day. So they said, oh, it's going to be an early spring. The spring's going to come March 21st. <laughs> 42 days after February 2nd. Anyway. We understand how the seasons work. We know. The Bible tells us that as long as the world is just, there will be seasons. There's a definite order. The key here in verse 29 is the phrase, know that it is nigh, even at the doors. But we also need to remember that these things will happen only as God directs them to happen. Not according to any expectation or speculation of time progression that man can conceive. Well, the Bible says this, and then it says this, and then it says, so that means that in this much time, Jesus says no. There is nothing that you can use to predict when this is going to happen. The Apostle Peter reminds us in his second epistle. He says that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years. And a thousand years is as one day. And yet Jesus does give an insight into God's intent here. That once these things begin, once these events begin, he says... That God is not going to draw out the conclusion for an extended period of time. He's speaking of these things that were just mentioned from the, and, and, and even from the first part of our text. But look at what he says. Verily I say unto you in verse number 30. That this generation. What generation is that that he's talking about by the way? Is he talking about the generation in which those four apostles are living right then? I don't believe so. I believe he's talking about that the generation that is there when these things begin. That same generation, he says, shall not pass till all these things be done. Now, if any one of us or if anyone at all would have an inkling to wonder how Jesus can be so matter of fact about this finality that he's talking about. Well, we would do well to remember that Jesus doesn't just make things up as he goes. <laughs> I 
I don't know, maybe you've, maybe you've been in a workplace and, and maybe you've heard somebody say, you know, something about, well, I, you know, I, don't know, uh, I don't know how to prove it. Just make something up. You can't just make stuff up. Jesus didn't make stuff up. He never just makes things up as he goes. John chapter 8 and verse 28 tells us that Jesus said unto them, When ye have lifted up the Son of Man, then ye shall know that I am he. And that, here it is, I do nothing of myself, but as my Father hath taught me, I speak these things. Everything that Jesus says, everything that Jesus preached, everything that Jesus taught came directly from God the Father. Jesus goes on in verse 31 to express what is the only thing that, that can be counted on to endure eternity. Look at verse 31 again. Jesus said, and this comes directly from the Father, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words, the words of Jesus Christ, the very incarnate word of God, shall not pass away. So we can rest knowing, Christian, that if God said it, it is forever settled in heaven and in earth. Forever. And we have only to believe it. Before we revamped our website here for the church, we had as a banner at the top of one of the pages, God said it, that settles it, and we believe it. You know, you've, you've seen the bumper stickers, I don't know. I believe it and that settles it or some, some crazy. That's not the way God worked. God said it. It is settled and I believe it. And that brings us to the third part. The exhortation. Jesus here, he closes out this instructive conversation, if you will, with a you might call it a two-part exhortation. First, Jesus reminds the apostles that even with all of the indicators that Jesus has mentioned, they could not, nor could we, predict when these things will exactly happen. Verses 32 and 33, we'll see it. We just mentioned it a moment ago. But Jesus said, but of that day and that hour knoweth no man. No, not the angels which are in heaven, neither the Son, but the Father. Take ye heed, watch, and pray, for ye know not when the time is. Now it might seem a little strange to read that not even Jesus knows when this is going to happen. How can that be? Isn't Jesus God and you know God the Father, God the Son? Jesus is God. How can he not know when this happened? Well when Jesus, as we read in scripture, you see when we have questions like that we just need to go back to the Bible. Because the Bible answers all those questions. When Jesus According to Philippians chapter 1 and verse 7, took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of man. He also took upon himself the need to be taught. We just read that he does nothing of himself but what the Father taught him. Remember when Jesus was 12 years old and he went up to Jerusalem and sat with the doctors and the lawyers and oh boy, he had some kind of wisdom. But the Bible tells us that Jesus, in the end of that account, the Bible says that Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature. 
and in favor with God and man. Now, while Jesus walked on this earth as a man, I believe that Jesus did not have the omniscience that God the Father has or that Jesus had before he humbled himself and took upon him the likeness of man. That stayed in heaven. As Jesus walked the earth, as you and I walked the earth, oh, he was wise and he increased in wisdom and he had a tremendous perception. And he had a communication with the Father every day. So God taught him many things. But the Bible says that Jesus, the Son of Man, does not know when the second coming is going to happen. We just read it in John chapter 8. Jesus only spoke that which was, he, that which was taught him by the Father. And that only came by spending the time alone with the Father in prayer. So the exhortation then began with, because no one knows when it's going to happen, it is only for us to watch and pray. That's our exhortation. Watch and pray. And what should that prayer be? Well, I've already said that the church is going to be raptured before all of these events take, take place. But the principle for us remains the same. Watch and pray, because as the time for the rapture draws near, you'll see all this stage being set as we see it today. We know the time is drawing near. Watch and pray. What should our prayer be? Well, don't we all have a need to be ready? I, I, isn't that what Scripture tells us? Be ready. We all have a need to be ready. Maybe our prayer ought to be, God, help me to be ready. Help me to see what you have me to see in the scriptures. Help me to understand insofar as I am doing what you want me to do. Insofar as it drives me to obey you more. We talked about it this morning. Pastor mentioned at the end of the service this morning. We want to be more steadfast. We want to be serving better. We want to be serving more faithfully in these times. Jesus said it right here. Watch and pray that God would give us that unction to be more diligent about what we're doing for him. Being ready doesn't mean that we're on track with our Bible reading schedule, by the way. Well, I'm on track. I, I read my three chapters today. I'm good. That's not what he's talking about. That's a good tool, and that's a great thing to be. We ought to be reading our Bible every day. God tells us that. But it means, being, being ready means that we will be continually reading, meditating, praying, seeking for wisdom and understanding as it was testified today. We're seeking for wisdom. The Bible says that we to search the scriptures. For in them we find Jesus Christ. In them we find salvation. Search the scriptures. And at the same time that we're seeking the wisdom and seeking the understanding and one can be ready. being ready means that we must be doing not just sitting back being the academic that I know everything that Hebrews chapter 11 says. I can recite it word for word. That's great. But what are you doing? The Bible says, show me thy faith without thy works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. We've got to be doing. We're not saved just to be academic scholars and know what the word of God says. We're saved to be doing what God says that we are to be doing. Because I'll tell you this, if you've ever seen anybody come along and try to tell you, hey, you want to know a little piece of truth? Here's a little piece of truth for you, and they'll rattle off something. How do I know that's true? 
You don't know that. Words are cheap. Talk is cheap. But if we're doing what God says we're to be doing, if we're being an example that people can actually see something and see the hand of God working in our lives, it's a whole lot easier to believe something that you can see the effect of. So at the same time that we're seeking for wisdom and praying and reading and meditating, we must be doing, obeying God's preserved commands, witnessing, testifying, confessing, all of those things that God has revealed in his word that we ought to be doing. Well, what are all those things? I'm not going to list them for you because it's your job to get in the word of God and find out for yourself. Just as it is my job. And to clarify this whole charge, this exhortation, Jesus concludes with yet... One more parable. Don't you love the parables? I love the parables. Look and let's read it again in verses 34 through 37. For the Son of Man is as a man taking a far journey who left his house and gave authority to his servants and to every man his work and commanded the porter to watch. Watch ye therefore, for ye know not when the master of the house cometh at even or at midnight or the cock crowing or in the morning, lest coming suddenly he find you sleeping. And what I say to you, I say unto all, watch. So I'll close with this. Three keys. We're talking about the exhortation. We're talking about we must be ready. So three keys from this passage to help us be ready, to help us be prepared. First, friends, you and I, Christian, you and I have been given authority. That's what the Bible just said right here. Watch, therefore, uh, for the Son of Man is as a man taken to far journey who left his house and gave authority to his servants. We've been given authority, friends. Authority for what? Well, I've been given authority by God, so you need to listen to what I say. No, that's not what it's for. We've been given authority to use the name of our Redeemer, Jesus Christ, in righteous, God-honoring ways. Not to claim power over any, any individual, but to claim Christ's power in overcoming temptation. Authority to share Jesus Christ with all who will hear and to lead them to that place of knowledge and faith to accept salvation through Jesus Christ. That's the authority that we've been given to be able to share Jesus Christ. Secondly, we've been given work to do. The Bible says here once again in verse 34, gave authority to his servants and to every man his work. We've been given work to do. Some of our work has already been mentioned. But it is all here in this word of God. Seek out what God wants us to be doing. And in faith, overcome the fear of doing it. Well, I don't know if I could do that because, you know, that, that, that might cost me, you know, some time on Sunday afternoon or Sunday morning or Sunday evening or Wednesday night. You know, my Wednesday nights are precious to me. Oh, are they? Wednesday nights are precious to God, too. Whatever God has asked us to do, he does also tell us to not forsake the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is. Because when we assemble together, we can share with each other what God is doing, and we can be encouraged about what God is doing in others' lives, and that he'll do it in our life as well. We've been given work to do. Be sure that we are doing his work. And thirdly, we've been commanded to watch. God knows that we need rest. God knows that we need sleep. And so in the Bible here, he says, lest coming suddenly he finds you sleeping. Well, what if he comes in the middle of the night and I've been sleeping because I need my sleep? Well, of course God knows that we need our sleep. He designed us that way. 
But he warns us against being a sluggard. He warns us in Scripture about being lazy, about being afraid to step out in faith. He tells us that we are to do everything in such a way that God is honored. And so that it cannot be evil spoken of. And so that God cannot be evil spoken of. I thought you were a Christian. That doesn't seem very Christian-like. Well, we've got to be careful. And God says that we are to be always expecting that at any moment we can be face-to-face with our Savior. At any moment. Bible says in the twinkling of an eye. How fast does your eye twinkle? <laughs> you ever looked in the mirror and seen the twinkle of your eye? Probably not, but it goes that fast. In the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, it says we shall be changed. We'll be raptured. Are we ready for that? So three keys. We've been given authority to work for God. We've been given work to do for God. And we've been commanded to watch. Even though his conversation here was about the second coming. The principles are so precious for you and I. We can't let them go. Pastor, would you close the service? Well, while the urgency is to watch and to pray, let's remember that the people to whom we have shared the gospel, a clear gospel message to them, And if they reject it in this lifetime, they cannot get saved in the tribulation time period. Mm. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And that's why it is so important for us to not give them an excuse not to, to accept Christ because of the way we live our lives, nor to give up on them. Always bathe them in prayer once you have shared that gospel message with them. It's a horrible thing, you know, we have this idea that somehow, and I, and I knew it went through the New England Baptist Fellowship for a while, and it was uh, putting together some VHS tapes back in the day when they had VHS tapes, and that was in case, in case of rapture, break the glass and listen to the video. Now, that would work fine for someone who has never heard the gospel, but someone who has heard the gospel. And so we have to realize is that when that rapture occurs, that's a cutting off point. Those who have heard it before and have rejected it, there is no salvation for them, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. So pray fervently for those who you share the gospel with, that they won't turn the deaf ear before it's too late. Father, we thank you for the time that we could be together. And Lord, why there is great joy in our salvation, knowing that the days are growing shorter, even though the days are growing darker. It's also growing shorter before you have uh, fulfilled your promise to the redeemed of the Lord. And Lord, for those whom we have shared the gospel with, whether in track or rather verbally, that if they have rejected it, Lord, we do pray for their salvation, that the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit of God will be so great upon them that, Lord, they will be broken in their will. And revived in the spirit by coming to a saving faith in the person of Jesus Christ. And Father, we we pray for each and every one to whom we have shared that gospel message with. Lord, thank you for the message today and as we now go our separate ways. Lord, we we do know the the prayer at the end of Revelations. Even so, come quickly. But Lord, we realize that it'll be in your perfect time. And we're so thankful that with patience we wait. 
and with patience we serve. Now, Father, dismiss us with thy blessings, we pray in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.